Chapter 5 of The Men on the Other Side. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Men on the Other Side by Ada Barnett. Chapter 5 If I were not a farmer, I would like to be a master mason, said Ruth Sear very firmly. She was sitting by the roadside, watching the workmen lay the foundation for her first cottage. The process interested her enormously. The master mason at intervals paused in his work and instructed her as to its purpose. She was learning the use and meaning of the square, the level, and the plumb rule. She was also enjoying herself quite a lot. Across her knees lay Bertram Aurelius. He goggled cheerfully in answer and bit her forefinger vigorously, with such teeth as he possessed. Bertram Aurelius had come into the world without benefit of clergy. His father belonged to the B.E.F. His mother was a between maid, and in the ordinary course of events he should have gone to his own place. But values have shifted considerably during the years of the Great War, and in the year of peace both male babies even though unauthorized and between mates, had come to be recognized as very distinctly valuable assets. Gladys Bone, Bertram Aurelius's mother, aged 18, was pathetically anxious to please, a trait which had probably assisted in her undoing, and took the good advice meekly, except where Bertram Aurelius was concerned. Here, the good ladies, who had with great difficulty scraped together the money to start a rescue home for unmarried mothers in Fairbridge, reasoned with her in vain. She insisted on his certainly somewhat startling combination of names, and persisted in calling him by both. She was perfectly unashamed of the fact that he had no authentic father. Ain't he beautiful? seemed to appear to her quite a sufficient answer, to those who endeavored to present the subject in its proper light. And worst of all, she absolutely refused to be separated from him. The little, gray-haired, pink-cheeked spinster who practically settled such matters was in despair. In her inmost heart, she sympathized with Gladys, Bertram Aurelius being an infant of considerable charm. At the same time, she realized that it was almost impossible to find anyone mad enough to engage a housemaid, or even a between-maid, with a baby thrown in. One day, however, when Bertram Aurelius had reached the adorable age of ten months, the unexpected happened. Little Miss Luce traveled from London in the same carriage with Ruth Sear, and getting into conversation, told her the story of Gladys and Bertram Aurelius Bone. At the moment, Ruth was meditating the possibility of getting a girl to help Miss McCox without permanently destroying the peace of Thrope Farm. Gladys Bone seemed the possibility. Never having lived, save for her bright three months' companionship in a well-regulated family, the accompanying baby did not strike her as an impossibility, but rather as a solution. Then and there, on arriving at Fairbridge, did Miss Luce carry her off to see them both. Bertram Aurelius had eyes the color of a delphinium, a head of red down, and a skin like strawberries and cream. He had little hands that held you tight, and pink toes which he curled and uncurled. He crowed at Ruth, 
and promptly put her finger in his mouth. Ain't he beautiful? said his small mother. She's really an excellent worker, said little Miss Luce when Gladys and Bertram Aurelius had been dismissed. And she will do anything for anyone who is good to the baby, if you think you could manage with him, possibly. She looked at Ruth anxiously. Ruth laughed. My dear lady, she said, I have just discovered that the one thing wanted to make throw perfect is a baby. But you have other servants, suggested Miss Luce. I fear you may find them a difficulty. Certainly, Miss Cox's attitude towards the situation was more than doubtful, but Ruth had learned that a distinctly soft kernel existed somewhere under the hard shell of an unattractive personality. She thought of Bertram Aurelius's blue eyes and soft red head. I think you must send Gladys out to Throp to apply for the situation with Bertram Aurelius, she said. They looked at each other, and Miss Luce nodded comprehensively. He's a very attractive baby, she murmured. It was the next morning, while Ruth was reveling in the arrival of delicious fluffy yellow things in her fifty-egg incubator, that Miss McCox emerged from the house evidently the bearer of news of importance as always she was spotlessly clean and almost unbearably neat and her clothes appeared to be uncomfortably tight her collar was fastened by a huge amber brooch her waist belt by a still larger glittering metal buckle both presents from the young man to whom she had been engaged in her distant youth and who had died of what miss mccox described as a declining consumption out of the corner of Ruth's eye, she looked distinctly uncompromising. "'There's a young woman come to apply for the situation,' she announced. "'Does she seem likely to be any good?' asked Ruth, still busy with the incubator. "'She's got a baby,' said Miss McCox, who always came to the point. "'And she wants to keep it.' "'A baby?' "'A baby,' repeated Miss McCox firmly. "'A baby as didn't ought to have come, but it's there.' oh said ruth weakly well what do you think about it miss mccox fingered the amber brush this ruth knew to be a distinct sign of weakness the young woman's civil-spoken and i reckon there's worse about with the ring on she said darkly i'm willing to try her if you are ruth hid a smile among the yellow chicks the charm of bertram aurelius had worked but the baby she asked can we possibly manage with the baby? Why not? returned Miss McCox sharply. Babies aren't much trouble, God knows. It's the grown-ups make me sick. So Bertram Aurelius came to live at Thrope, and was rapidly absorbed into the life on the farm. He was a good and cheerful infant, and anyone could take charge of him. He was equally contented whether viewing the world over Ruth's shoulder while she inspected the farm, or in his cradle in the corner of the kitchen, listening to curious noises called singing, which Miss McCox, to the amazement of the whole establishment, produced for his benefit. He would lie among the hay in a manger, even as the babe of old time, while Ruth and the cowman milked, or in his crawler on the terrace, guarded by Sarah and Selina, who took to him much as if he had been one of those weird black-and-white puppies of Sarah's youthful indiscretion. And Gladys, his mother, worked cheerfully and indefatigably, to please, sitting at Miss McCox's feet for instructions, 
and the peace and comfort of throat deepened and broadened day by day it was now near mid-june and the fine weather still held day after day broke to unclouded sunshine a world full of flowers and the rhythmic life of growing things the seeds and baby plants cried for rain the hay and fruit crops would suffer but ruth her heart torn both ways could not regret it was all so beautiful and when the rain came who could tell it might be all the real summer weather of the year this wonderful may and june to-day little ever so soft white clouds broke the clear blue of the sky but there was still no sign of change the wild roses and the broom were in perfection and everywhere was the honey and almond scent of gorse the buttercup glory was over but the oxide daisies were all out turning their sweet moon faces to the sun from where she sat ruth could see the rose-red roofs of thrope with the white pigeons drowsing in the heat her cottages were to be equally beautiful on a smaller scale she dreamt as she sat in the warmth and the sweetness with bertram aurelius cooling softly in her lap visualizing pictures such as were growing in the minds of many in the great year of peace seeing beautiful homes where the strong man and the mother with sturdy round-limbed children should live where the big sons and comely daughters should come in and out in the peace of plenty and the sound of laughter it might all be so wonderful for the wherewithal is ours is here with us the good brown earth the sun and the rain fire and water all the teeming life of nature all ours to mould into a life of beauty for ourselves and our children dreams yes but such dreams are the seeds of the beautiful which shall if they find soil blossom in beauty in the time to come for the little children lying on our knees clutching at our hearts presently there intruded into ruth's dreams the large presence of mr pithy and she discovered him standing in the white dust of the road in front of her disapproval and curiosity both appeared together in his little sharp eyes according to mr pithy's ideas it was distinctly unseemly for a person in ruth's position to sit by the roadside like a common tramp as he expressed it to mrs pithy later on to his mind somehow the baby in her lap accentuated the unseemliness and it made the thing worse that she was both hatless and gloveless had she been properly dressed for the roads the rest might have been an accident i should think you'd get a sunstroke sitting by the road like that without your hat he said mr pithy himself was expensively dressed in pale grey with a white waistcoat and spats on his head he wore a five-guinea panama and his general appearance forcibly reminded ruth of an immaculately groomed large pale yellow pig her grey eyes smiled at him out of her sun-browned face she had a disarming smile i believe i was nearly asleep she said and dug her knuckles into her eyes much as a child does mr pithy softened what on earth are you sitting there for he asked just dreaming but you mustn't think i'm an idler mr pithy even pan sleeps at this hour her smile deepened and mr pithy softened still more he stepped out of the dust into the grass passing as he did so into a more friendly attitude pan that's a queer name for a baby he said the smile became just the softest thing in laughs 
Well, his proper name is Bertram Aurelius, but Pan... She held Bertram Aurelius up, the while he chuckled at her, striving to fit his hand into his mouth. Look at his blue eyes, and his little pointed ears, and his head of red dawn. Really, Pan suits him much better. Um, said Mr. Pithy, Bertram is a good sensible name for a boy, like my own, and not too common. Better stick to that. So you've started your cottages. Well, you remember what I told you. Don't you think they're going to pay? Because they won't. Oh, yes, they'll pay, said Ruth. Why, of course, they'll pay. There was mischief in her eye. Now look here, said Mr. Pithy heavily. It's no good talking to a woman. It's in at one ear and out of the other. But if you'll walk up to the house with me, I'll put it down in black and white. The return you'll get for your money... Oh, money, interrupted Ruth. I wasn't thinking of money. Mr. Pithy heeled over, as it were like a ship brought up when sailing full before the wind. If it's damned rotten sentiment you're after, he exclaimed. Well, you can take my word for it. That doesn't pay either. Ruth looked up at him as he stood over her, a very wrathfully indignant, immaculate, pale yellow pig indeed. She thought of his millions, and the powers they wielded, and then of the power they might wield if backed by any imagination. Mr. Pithy, she said, and her voice was very low, as it had in it the sound of many waters which had gone over her soul. I have seen our dead men lie in rows, many hundreds, through the dark night, waiting till dawn for burial. They did not ask if it paid. Mr. Pithy shuffled with his big feet in the grass. That's different, he said, but his little sharp eyes fell. I should have gone myself, but my business was of national importance, as of course you know. Yes, that's different, that's different. He seemed to find satisfaction in the words. He eyed Ruth again with equanimity. Of course you ladies don't understand, but you can't bring sentiment into business. He puffed himself out. Again, the phrase pleased. Ruth rose to her feet. Even to her broad charity he had become oppressively obnoxious. How much did you offer me for a throw? She asked suddenly. Mr. Pithy's eye snapped. Twenty-five per cent on your money, he said. Or I might even go a bit higher, as you're a lady. Ruth tossed Bertram Aurelius over her shoulder, laughing. Do you know what has made Throb the gem it is? she asked. Why, sentiment. Unless you have some to spend on it, it wouldn't pay you to buy. She nodded a farewell and left him, with a strangled dam on his lips. He yearned after Throb. As a pleasure farm from himself, it left little to be desired. He expressed his feelings to Mrs. Pithy, who coming along presently in her Rolls Royce with the two elder children in their best clothes, picked him out of the dust and took him home to tea. Why, it must have been her I passed just now, she exclaimed. There now, if I didn't think it was just a common woman and never bowed. A good thing, too, said Mr. Pithy majestically and he said to Mrs. Pithy all the things he should have said to Miss Sear if she had given him a chance. Undisturbed by the omission, Ruth went home across the flowered fields, but Mr. Pithy himself oppressed her. It seemed grossly unfit, somehow, that the life sacrifice of those dead boys should result in benefit, 
material benefit at any rate to the pithies of the world it shocked even one sense of decency but bertram aurelius has said was very soft against her throat as he dropped into sleep the sun was very warm the almond and honey scent of gorse was very sweet presently she unruffled and began to sing the song which seemed to her to belong especially to throat when i have reached my journey's end and i am dead and free i pray that god will let me go along the flower fields i know that look towards the sea so she came to the stile which led to the buttercup field crimson and white now with sorrel and oxide daisies and standing among the flowers was a slim figure the figure of a woman dressed all in white ruth stopped on the stile to look it was so beautiful in poise and outline it gave her that little delightful shock of joy which only beauty gives backed by the blue sky bathed in the broad afternoon sunlight it was worthy even of her flower fields very still the figure stood gazing across those fields that looked towards the sea and just as still in a breathless pause ruth stood and watched and wondered for gradually she became aware of a strange appearance as a fire surrounding the slim figure it was of oval shape vivid scarlet in color deepening at the base other colors there were in the oval but the fiery glow of the red drowned them into insignificance ruth shaded her eyes with her disengaged hand suspecting some illusion of light but the oval held its shape under the steady scrutiny and with a little gasp she realized that she was looking at that which the ordinary physical sight does not reveal vague memories of things read in old books out of raphael Goltz's library descriptions of the colored auric egg which invisible to the human eye surrounds all living forms raced hurriedly through her mind but she had read of them more with curiosity than with any thought that they would ever come within the boundary of her own consciousness as she realized what the phenomenon was a growing shrinking from it a sense of horror a feeling that there was something sinister threatening in the fiery implacable red of the appearance came over her like a wave she was glad of bertram aurelius's warm little body against her own and found she was fighting a desire to turn back and retrace her steps a desire so wholly absurd on the face of it that she shook herself together and resolutely moved forward as she did so the white figure moved too coming down the slope of the field to meet her and as it came the scarlet oval faded flickered and so far as ruth was concerned seemed to go out the ordinary everyday things of life came back with a curious dislocating jerk and she found herself looking into a very wonderful pair of golden-brown eyes set in short but oddly thick black lashes and a light high voice spoke a voice with sudden bell-like cadences in it so often heard and the voice of french women it was as attractive as all the rest of violet riversley's physical equipment is it monsieur may i introduce myself i expect as roger north's daughter will be simplest she said holding out her hand father dropped me here on his way to fairbridge with lady condor they're both calling here later to see you and pick me up also hoping for tea father told me to say 
your mate told me i should find you if i came down this way do you mind that i have picked some of your moon daisies they are not fine as grow in this field no no of course not ruth half stammered realizing for the first time that she carried a sheaf of daisies in the bend of her arm why everything would have been hers but for the chance of war this was the woman who was to have married dick carey and somehow all at once ruth knew that this meeting was not the ordinary everyday occurrence such meetings mostly are it had a meaning a purpose of its own she felt a sudden shrinking of some inner sense even as she had just now felt a physical shrinking she wanted to back out of something she knew not what just as she had had that ridiculous desire just now to turn round and go the other way and yet standing staring at her in the stupid dumb way she did not dislike violet riversley far from it she was distinctly attracted by her and her beauty drew ruth like a charm it seemed quite a long time before she heard her own voice saying please pick take anything you like thanks ever so much said mrs riversley she had turned to walk up the path i'm just like a child i always want to pick flowers when i see them and they seem to grow here better than anywhere else i know mr carey used to say he had squared the flower elementals she spoke the name quite simply and casually while ruth was conscious of a ridiculous feeling of shyness i think it's quite likely she answered look at the wisteria they had reached the ridge of the slope and could see where the flowered fields merged into the garden proper all along the top of the wall against the blue i have never seen any so wonderful it was amazingly wonderful but mrs riversley looked at it without any apparent pleasure it is ever so good of you to let me come and invade you in this informal way she said with her little gracious social manner father said he was sure you would not mind and you won't let me interrupt you will you you work on the farm yourself don't you it is not just a pretense of farming with you i was just going to milk said ruth smiling we are one hand short to-day so if you won't mind my leaving you till tea-time and you will just do exactly what you like and pick anything you like then violet riversley did for her an unusual thing she slipped her hand into ruth's as a shy rather lonely child might have done it was one of those moments when she was irresistible let me come with you and watch she said and why do you carry that big baby about is it a good work he's the farm baby said ruth her eyes twinkling and we found him under a gooseberry bush they had reached the terrace and the pigeons just awake from their midday slumber on the sun-baked roof came tumbling down fluttering round ruth searching the big pockets of her overall for corn while bertram aurelius vainly stove to catch a wing or a tail mrs riversley stood at a little distance my goodness they are tame she exclaimed as the pretty chase for the hidden foot went on just as tame as they were with she stopped and looked round her it is extraordinary how little the place has changed and it's not just pretending either it really is just the same here the same old comfortable at home feeling did you know mr carey by any chance no i suppose not but it's funny 
I have something the same feeling with you I always had with him, and with no one else ever in the world. You rest me, you do me good, you are something cool on a hot day. You know, father felt it too, and he's not given to feelings. Do get rid of that great fat lump, put him back under his gooseberry tree, then we will go milking. She advanced on Bertram Aurelius threateningly. Where does he go? Ruth broke into laughter. He will go in the manger on the hay, or anywhere else that comes handy, or— But wait a minute, here come the dogs. Sarah and Selina were proceeding decorously up the path from the front gate. To all appearances, they had been taking a little gentle exercise. There was an air of meekness, an engaging innocence about them which, to those who knew them, told its own tale. They had undoubtedly been up to mischief. The dogs? queried Mrs. Riversley. They will look after him, explained Ruth. She went into the house and brought out a small wooden cradle on rockers. In this she arranged Bertram Aurelius, who took the change with his usual philosophy, waved his bare pink legs with vigor, and strove to catch the sunbeams flickering through the jasmine leaves. The little dog sat side by side, very alert and full of responsibility. It was a picture full of charm, but Mrs. Riversley held herself aloof, though she watched the swift, neat movement of Ruth's work-worn hands with interest until she joined her. Then she became for the next half hour an entirely delightful companion, talking gaily in her pretty cadenced voice, flitting here and there like some white bird about the big fragment cowshed, eager with the impulsive eagerness of a child to show that she too knew how to milk. Dick had taught her. She spoke of him frequently and without self-consciousness. She told Ruth many things that interested her to know and gradually the curious shell of hardness, that apparent want of sympathy with all the beautiful teeming life of the farm, disappeared. She milked to Ruth's astonishment well and deftly. She understood much about chicken and pigs. She held the down soft yellow ducklings in her shapely hands, and broke into open enthusiasm over the little white kid who ran with the herd. I wonder, she said, when the milking was over and Ruth suggested tea. I wonder by any chance if our house on the wall is still there. You mean where the kitchen garden wall is built out to meet the beech tree? And the branches are like tree seats, the highest one in the middle, and there are some shelves? Yes, yes, and you can see all around and no one can see you. Dick built it for us when we were children, Fred and I and the Condor boys. We were always here. We played at keeping house up there, and Dick used to tell us stories about all the animals. There was one about a mouse family, too, and about the elementals, the water elementals who took care of the river and who brought the rain and the dew in the early summer mornings. They were all like silver gossamer and white foam, and the earth elementals who looked after the flowers as food, and the elementals of fire. She stopped suddenly and shivered. They were crossing a corner of the orchard on their way to the kitchen garden, and, to Ruth's astonishment, she looked round her with something like fear in the eyes. "'Do you feel it get colder?' "'Quite cold,' she said. "'As we crossed the footpath just there?' "'I believe it did, now you say so,' said Ruth. 
you get those funny bands of colder air sometimes the ground dips too under those apple trees violet shivered again she looked at the apple trees and the odd look of fear in her eyes deepened has anyone ever spoken to you of a man called von schott a german who used to stay here she asked no said ruth and wondered he asked me to marry him just over there under that biggest tree it was covered with blossom then and there were white butterflies about oh he frightened me her voice rose in a little cry he frightened me i hate to think of it even now i felt as if he could make me do it whether i wanted to or not oh he kissed me like no one had ever kissed me before i could have healed him i hated him so but even then i was afraid he might make me do it i was afraid i would not see him again alone and i never felt really safe till i was engaged to dick and even then her voice dropped very low i was glad when carl was killed do you think it was very horrid of me i couldn't help it sometimes even now i dream in the night that he has never died that he has come back and can make me do whatever he likes she shredded i have to shake myself quite wide awake before i know it's only a beastly dream and i haven't dick now any more she looked back over her shoulder and shivered again you're sure that cold feeling was just quite ordinary why yes said ruth what should it be i don't know let us get to the house on the wall she hurried on and her slender feet in white went up the rough steps as one at home she stood for a few moments and looked round while the old memories of what seemed like another life came thronging back then she climbed up into the middle seat and sat there getting herself together as a child does when it is concentrating deeply in the flickering shadow of the leaves above and around her face looked wan mysterious almost her strange golden eyes curiously alive yet gazing it seemed into another world her seat in the circle looked out across the great endless valley stretching away to the west immediately below was the big hay-field ready now for cutting it fell in a gentle slope to the river which diving under the roadway by the front gate curved round to the garden and broke out into a miniature pond at the bottom of the field before it vanished among the bracken where the territorial throbe ended and the great beautiful forest of the condor estate commenced in the pond were water lilies rose-colored and white and tall brown bulrushes all in their season of perfection most noticeable in the noble stretch of landscape beyond was a clump of beech trees on the ridge of the near side of the valley lifted up sheer against the height of the sky they had caught for many years the full blast of the winds coming up from the northeast and only the topmost branches survived leaving their straight exquisite trunks bare today standing high above the blue distances in the shimmering light and heat they had about them more than usual of majesty and mystery violet riversley sat very still the myriads of summer leaves rustled softly here and there a bird sang presently she began to speak even as another bird might have begun to sing 
and it takes a long time to get the water lilies to grow because they won't come anywhere until they are sure you really love them not just want them for show it's the same with the madonna lilies and they never make mistakes you've got really to love them and the water lilies like bulrushes close at hand for a bodyguard because the water lilies are of royal birth the water elementals told dick all this and so the lilies grew and i loved the pink ones best but he loved the white and the tops of the beech trees with the long trunks are where the earth elementals say their prayers they choose trees like that so that the earth children cannot climb up and disturb them if you disturb them when they are saying their prayers they get cross and then the flowers come all wrong red roses with a green spike in their hearts and the lime flowers covered with black and all that shimmery heat is like it is in the desert all like that and no grain only here and there water in a groove of palm trees and there is the wood where the winds live they will all be at home today resting ruth held her breath while she listened and then the voice fell very softly into silence and quite suddenly there came a sudden shower of big soft tears they made blurred marks on the lustrous white skin and she looked at ruth with dim wet eyes like a child who had been naughty presently she got up and came and sat down on the top of the wall facing the garden come and sit here too she said patting the bricks beside her it's quite comfy if you put your heels back into the steps there's just room for two we used to watch for dick coming home from here i and fred and the eldest conder boy he was killed at messines and little teddy rawson the viker's son he was afraid of almost everything mice and ferrets just like a girl and he died a hero's death in gallipoli and sybil rawson she went as a nurse to salonica and was torpedoed coming home and drowned only fred and i left and the two youngest condors again she fell on silence and again ruth held her breath she feared that any word of hers might break the spell of this return to the past days which were like another life the flowers grew for you too they're just as wonderful as ever mrs riversley went on again after a little while and you have got a blue border delphinium anchusa love in the mist and the nemophila all of them i wonder how you came to think of that there were some plants still left and i somehow i think i guessed and the birds are they still as tame they were shy at first but they are beginning to come back the robins used to fly in and out of the house and even the swallow and the kingfishers used to come quite close to dick if i was with him i had to be quite still for a long time before they would come ruth's face lightened with a sudden thought the kingfishers she said they are the shyest of all birds i suppose we humans have always tried to catch and kill them for their plumage dick hated that sort of thing her face grew hard and the strange fire burnt up again in her eyes and then he was shot down himself shot down as we shoot any bird or beast she stopped suddenly the words choked back in her throat as the condor car came over the bridge and pulled up at the gate then she slipped down from the wall and stood looking up at ruth 
Thank you for letting me go round with you and talk. It's been good. She pushed up the heavy wave of hair from her forehead under her wide-brimmed hat. It's taken me back for a little to what life used to be, from what I am to what I was. And now let us go and pick up all the things Lady Condor will drop. Lady Condor's cheerful chatter was already with them. Now, have I got everything? Yes. No. Where is my handkerchief? Did I put it into the pocket? The parcels can all stay. No one will touch them. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Roger. She began to ascend the path, shedding a blue chiffon scarf, which North retrieved as he followed her. Oh, there you are, Violet. And this is Seer? An unpardonably late call, but I have been taking the chair at a meeting to discuss the Woman's Victory Memorial. We discussed for hours the weirdest ideas. And the heat at the town hall? Yes. Why are town halls and hospitals always hideous? There can't be any necessity for it. Tea indoors? Out of the sun? How nice. I never do like tea out of doors myself, really. Though sometimes I pretend to. And a dear old room, almost just like it used to be. I'm glad, though it makes me want to cry. Yes, but where was I? Oh, yes, the weirdest ideas. Even a crematorium was suggested. No, I'm not inventing, dear Violet. The good lady had lost her husband and was obliged to take him all the way to Woking. Most trying, of course. I was really sorry for her, but seems so odd for a victory memorial. So we settled on a maternity home. A quite excellent idea. Trenching on the improper, of course. It brought the fact of babies coming into the world into such a very concrete form as it were, but so necessary just now, and that they should have every chance. So even the dear ladies who attend St. Christopher's Church agreed. We parted in the utmost harmony, so pleasant and so unusual. And have you settled on a war memorial? Asked North, rescuing her handkerchief from Selina's clutches. Not yet, and I see no prospect. We are still talking. We shall, until some adventurous spirit among us says, well, something must be done, then we shall go the way of the least resistance. Always so safe and so unoriginal. Another of those delightful sandwiches, please? Your own Devonshire cream, of course. Why can't my cook make Devonshire cream? But where was I? Oh, yes, the war memorial. Then we shall erect an artistically offensive monument. Who invented that word, I wonder? And did the word come from the monstrosity or after? But it is so descriptive of what it is. Yes, and what is your idea of a good memorial, Monsieur? I have only one idea at present, said Ruth, smiling, and that is cottages. Quite a good one, too, said North. Why hasn't anyone thought of it? Much too obvious, my dear, exclaimed Lady Condor. The people are shrieking to be housed. So we shall build them a library. Yes, and the Pythians will build themselves winter gardens and billiard rooms and marble swimming baths, said Mrs. Riversley. Pythians? exclaimed Lady Condor. Who was it thanked someone else for a word? Thank you, dear Violet. Did I vent it myself the other day? How clever of me. Pythians, yes. Democracy will kill privilege as it did in France, but the Pythians arise on our ashes. Or should it be Phoenix? I am getting dreadfully muddled. It comes from talking too much. Roger, why don't you talk instead of letting me monopolize Monsieur and all the conversation? 
my dear lady the pythian glory is but for a moment we are all converging to the same heap of ashes with amazing velocity and what will arise from those ashes you must ask a wiser man than i you think seriously of the outlook asked ruth north help himself to more bread and butter i don't think he said it won't bear thinking of when you can do nothing then lady condor for once put a straight question without continuation what do you think of things she asked looking at ruth the silence grew in some odd way tense while they all waited for the answer it surprised north to find that he was waiting for it with something which distinctly approached interest ruth sear's face looked troubled for a moment and the color came sweeping into it like a flood and left her very white when she spoke she felt as if the words came dragged with difficulty from some unknown consciousness and though the words she spoke undoubtedly she felt to be true were a testimony of her own faith yet she had only that moment known the truth she was stating i believe she said slowly haltingly but with a strange intensity of conviction i believe we are not alone things are in the hands of the men who have given their lives so that things should be different better their influence is here all about us they with added knowledge guide through our darkness it is their great reward there was another silence and ruth flushed again painfully under the scrutiny of three pair of eyes where did you get that idea from asked lady condor i don't know she answered then amended her statement at least i'm not sure but i believe it is true i like it announced her ladyship i like it enormously yes quite enormously my poor dear hartley he was so keen on everything so interested in this old world he didn't want rest in heaven at twenty-four no is it likely and les choses ne vont pas si vite it isn't the nature of things they should nature hasn't great big gaps like that with no sense in them i don't know my dear if i'm talking sense but i know what i mean and i'm sure it is right yes i like your idea but that doesn't make it true some people can believe anything they want to i can't mrs riversley moved impatiently from her seat all we know is they're gone so far as we are concerned we cannot see or touch or hold them any more why do you discuss and imagine they are gone lady condor shrank together at the words the wonderful vitality which enabled her to defy age and satiety failed for the moment she looked old and piteous. yes she said they're gone she looked at north and you can tell us nothing with all your learning with all your discoveries and the parsons talk of fate and hope yes but we have lost our firstborns north did not answer he gathered her various belongings and put them in her lap there are one or two things i have to do to the car he said the door opened onto a clamor of dogs sarah and selina shrill with welcome barked in chorus around larry who appeared to have just arrived now what the devil muttered north to himself while larry smote him with a fettered paw and begged with wistful eyes for pardon ruth sat very late out on her terrace that night the heavens were dark but full of stars 
their radiance filled all space who and what was it had spoken those words this afternoon for neither the thought nor the words had been her own she believed it was true thought something deeper than brain or understanding knew it was true and ruth seer sat and prayed was she on the threshold of that open doorway which in all ages men have sought and sought in vain had she somehow stumbled on something vast and beyond all measure valuable she knew how valuable she had seen the dead men lying thousands waiting for burial and heard with her soul the tears of their women gone as violet riversley said out of sight or touch or sound and yet surely a communion deeper and fuller than sight or touch or hold had sprung up was growing between herself and one of those dead men a man unknown to her on this physical plane that was the crowning wonder of this wonderful thing which was happening how had it come about what did it mean and it was no thing apart from this earthly life from the little daily round it was no other world the night deepened a magic of starlight lay on the farm on the dull silver of the stream over the violet distances the little farm she loved with all its sleeping creatures belonged to the wonderful whole the great space the immensity of light the glory and the mystery the beauty of it all was like a draught of wine was like a silver sword was like a harp of gold and suddenly a nightingale began to sing a small brown feathered thing with that wonder of sound in its tiny throat and then it came faith hope they cannot pass the open door only love and love not of one to another however deep however true but love of the universal whole that love which she and dick carey had in common focused as it were on throat that was the password that the key that the communion between the living and the dead which she had found and larry lying at her feet for north had let him stay waved a slow moving tail and dreamed content up above on the hill the lights of the great pythian mansion with all it symbolized went out one by one and ruth who loved her england was not afraid a deep sense of great responsibility remained if that which she had sensed was really so and she had neither then nor at any later time any doubt of it what had they with their wider knowledge the great advance in evolution which they who had made the supreme gift of all they had on this physical plane must surely have attained what had they to build the new order which saved those who were left living stones for the great new temple never made with hands the glory of it touched truth with a sudden blaze of light the thought was like a bugle call to work with for them still she had only herself to offer one small stone to shape for use to make as perfect as might be she offered it under the starlit heavens with all her heart life took on a new and more beautiful meaning any work of service a deeper fuller joy 
it was still for and with them. End of chapter 5. Recording by Anna Naumaskam.